Thanks for listening. Learn more about our church and support by giving to the Mission of the Oaks at www.theoakscommunitychurch.org. Our scripture reading for this morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Proverbs 22, verses 1 through 9. Please feel free to follow along in your Bible or a Bible under the seats in front of you. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. The reward for humility and and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. This is the word of the Lord. It's just an honor here to preach today, and before I begin, as we get into our series that we're continuing in, and the Recovering Our Humanity, looking at the Proverbs, I just want to pray uh, and just make sure our hearts are attuned to hear from the Lord today. Let's pray. Father, I am so desperate to hear from you and to, to feel your presence today. Would you be in this room working in hearts? I pray that your word would not return void. Help us to to have a clear idea of what it means to honor you with things in our life. I thank you for this time. Thank you for for this people. And please bless the work in my hands. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, earlier this week, I was processing the sermon and all of the, the proverbs that kind of go along with this topic, and I was talking to Pastor Matt, and he shared an article with me. Um, it's a Time Magazine article. I, I don't really read Time Magazine. Um, I don't really read the news that much. I get my news from Facebook. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't do that. Um, <laughs> cardinal rule. Um, He sent this Time Magazine article, and it, like, really shook me. And I I actually want to share a little bit about this article with you. It's it's entitled, The Man Who Thinks He Can Live Forever. Literally written not too long ago, this year. It's about a 46-year-old man named Brian Johnson. He lives in Venice, California. He is, like, he's made hundreds of millions of dollars. He actually owned a financial company that purchased Venmo. You guys use Venmo? Venmo sold to PayPal for like $800 million. This guy made like $300 million off this deal. Wealthy, wealthy guy. And now he has a new mission in life. That mission is don't die. That's literally his mission. He spent literally $4 million on this life extension system that he calls Blueprint. Ironically, building something, right? He has a team of doctors and specialists that literally tell him what to do every single day. 
They have a strict health regimen, like workout plan, diet. He takes 111 pills a day. He wears a hat that puts like red light on his scalp. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, it's, it's true. This is real. I'm not, I'm not making this up. He, they, they collect his stool samples to analyze it, among other things that I, and analyze other things that I will not talk about in the pulpit. He actually views things like eating a cookie, um, getting less than eight hours of sleep as an act of violence against his body. I commit acts of violence all the time. <laughs> John, he's convinced that he's reframing what it means to be human. He views his work on, on Blueprint, this thing he's created with this team, he views it like, like Italian Renaissance, like think like Michelangelo in the Sistine Chapel or the creation of calculus. That, I'm serious. This is, this is in the article. So how is he doing with this regimen? He's 46 years old, but his organs are like that of a... 37-year-old, his heart is like a 37-year-old, his bone density is like a 30-year-old, so he's actually doing pretty good. But listen to what the journalist who wrote this article said. Her name is Charlotte Alter. Aren't humans more than just brains and meat? Isn't there some other ineffable element that makes us human? The feeling of watching your toddler play in a lake, the joy of popcorn with your girlfriends at the movie theater, the grief of losing a family member the frustration of a lost earring. Surely, there must be more to living than simply maintaining adequate oxygen in your spleen. He doesn't see it, Johnson doesn't see it that way. Whether we're talking about falling in love or having sex or going to a baseball game, you're talking about biochemical states in the body. Johnson says, you can remove everything and just say, I'm experiencing the kind of electrical activity in my body and these kinds of hormones. We have a whole bunch of ideas of what it means to exist. We have all those ideas about what is happiness and other things. We're walking into a future where we are no longer have control, he continues, which means we are willing to divorce ourselves from all human custom. Everything, all philosophy, all ethics, all morals, and all happiness. This article gives us some insight, too, about how he got to this point. He was married. He's divorced now. Ten years, he battled depression. He gets all of this money. So, again, I'm not making this up. This is where you can look it up yourself. There's tons of like articles, YouTube videos about this guy. He's redefining what humanity is, but he's lost all of his, it seems. I don't know about you, but like, I don't, want, I don't know this man. I don't, I don't want to be mean, but like delusion comes to mind. Like this can't be real. And all of this caught my attention because this, this, this man is embodying everything that the Proverbs is going against that we've been talking about from the beginning of the series. True wisdom is actually regaining our humanity. It's going back to the garden in Genesis 2. It's, it's existing with full reliance of God in our life. But now we're trying to be completely self-reliant, even redefining what it means to be human. And trying to undo the very curse that mankind brought on itself in Genesis 3. But before we cast this guy out as being delusional, 
and disregard him as being just completely like off. Let's take a step back, and I want to ask you a question. What would you do if you had $300 million? What would I do if I had $300 million? The kids are like, I know what I would do. How would you spend it? How do you think it would change your view of yourself? How would it change your view of other people? How would it impact your relationships every single day? What would it do in your view of God? And this kind of brings us to our topic today in the Proverbs. As we continue this series, we're looking at money. You're like, if you're new here today, how cliche of a church to talk about money. <laughs> it's really interesting, the, the full corpus of Scripture, everything that we have in the Bible, it has a lot to say about money, actually. There's over 2,300 verses that refer to money in some way, either in narrative or as an example, or in Proverbs, as we see. 16 of 38 parables that Jesus gives either use money as an illustration or directly talk about money. Money is the number two topic in Jesus' ministry. You know what number one is? The kingdom of God. So kingdom of God, then money. He talks more about, more about money than he talks about prayer, about love. That's wild to me. And the Proverbs in particular give us a lot of information and of observations and gives a lot of attention to wealth poverty, and riches. And I'm just going to run down the list here. The Lord uses wealth as a blessing and calls us to honor him with it. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. There's a relationship between work and money. Proverbs 10, 4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Money has an impact on your family. Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. It has an impact on your friendship. Proverbs 19, 4, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. There's a calling to be generous with money. Proverbs 19, 17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 28, 22, a stingy man. Uh, that's amen. A stingy man hastens after wealth, but does not know that poverty will come upon him. Money has the ability to impact your mental health and understanding of reality, as our case study earlier said. Proverbs 18.11, a rich man's wealth is, is a strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. There are grave warnings about wealth and the pursuit of it. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Proverbs 28, 20, a faithful person will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. I know it's a lot. That's only a fraction of the passages and the ones we read earlier. Remember the three characters in Proverbs? We talked about the fool, the simple, and the wise. 
The fool relates to money through overconsumption. Proverbs 21.20, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. The simple are enamored by the pursuit of it. Proverbs 22.3, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. The wise approach it with care and generosity. Proverbs 22.9, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. We have to remember here that the Proverbs are not laws. They're not promises. They're merely observations. They're observations that are inspired by God to show us how to navigate the world in wisdom. And I think there are, there are three ideas about money that we can draw from the Proverbs. I just want to give them to you. I think it puts all this in like summarizes all these ideas together. Three ideas. Here's the first one. Your approach to handling money has a distinct impact on how you will experience life. How you go in your day-to-day life. Proverbs 10, 15. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. Your financial status impacts what you eat, where you're able to go, your, how your family relates to each other, how you experience every day waking up. Those in poverty, they experience trauma, uncertainty, fear. They experience the world very differently than those who are in great wealth. And that's a reality. That's not a good or bad thing. That's just a reality that we see. So that's the first one. The second thing, and this is really interesting, money is actually a neutral thing. It's like a tool. A tool's not good or bad. It's like this table right here. This table is an inanimate object. It has no value of being good or bad. Maybe if it's wobbly, it's not good. But, you know, like it's, it's in and of itself, it has no moral value. It's neither good or bad. It, in the Bible, it's actually used for blessing and a snare. It's both. Now, some of you might object to this. You're like, riches are evil. But I would tell you, I would argue that you need to pause on that. We have to be reminded that money itself is not what is evil. In 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people are eager for money, have wandered from the faith, and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's not money itself. It's the love of it. That's what, what is the root of various kinds of evil. And I think the church doesn't really know what to do with money. That's why there's so many differing views on it. We have, on one, one end, we have this like prosperity, false gospel idea that God just wants you to be rich. God wants you to have all these great abundant blessings. And some of that is based off of truth. But if you make that the ultimate thing, it becomes something not of God. But then on the other side, you have Augustine, and I love Augustine. I, I'm not knocking Augustine on everything. But it's like, hey, you should be poor, and God will be happy with you and be pleased with you. This poverty gospel idea. And I, I think both are extremes. They're extremes of each other. But the Bible has clear examples of material blessing for people and also shows that there's blessing to the poor. 
The whole basis of Jesus' beatitudes is saying, blessed are the poor. They're blessed. So it's a neutral thing. But the third idea, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time, this is what I think is the most important. Your approach to money is deeply personal, and it's revealing. It's revealing. Proverbs eleven twenty eight: Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Like you're going to see fruit. You're going to see growth. You're going to. See, it's going to have evidence in your life. However, like it doesn't matter how you feel about it. Your approach to money shows so much about you, so much about me. It's deeply personal. And I think that's why we're so guarded on the topic. Anybody going holidays coming up, right? Anybody going out of town, family, putting on your body armor before you go, right? You're getting ready, geared up. I know what's coming. Four topics you don't talk about, right? You don't talk about politics. You don't talk about, you don't talk about sexuality. You don't talk about, you know, just these polarizing ideas that are coming, religion, differing viewpoints on that. You don't talk about those things. And you most certainly don't talk about money. I think it's so interesting that people are so comfortable talking about the most intimate physical aspects of their life and their sex life. They'll go to parades even. They'll, they'll get on social media and talk about it. But you ask them about money, Hey, can you tell me about your money? Oh, no, that's private. That's personal. It's guarded. One pastor even told me I've never had a meeting about, I've had lots of meetings about personal sin, but never about money. Why would we talk about it? It's my business, not yours. Former vice president of public relations, alumni affairs, and development at Notre Dame University said this, don't tell me where your priorities are. Show me where you spend your money, and I'll tell you where they are. Money's like a mirror. It's like a mirror. It's showing up in every aspect of our lives. It shows us what we're like. You can see if someone's generous by looking at their bank account. You could potentially see their work ethic. You can see their decision-making or discernment, you definitely can gauge interest and hobbies. Maybe even look at the closeness they have with their friendships. I know this is a fact. You can see the personal struggles that people are currently facing in life in that moment, whether it's with health, family, internal mental health needs. You can see it. And it exposes our deepest insecurities, like our needs for clothing, food, housing, our fear of missing out, or the uncertainty of the future. And there's no amount of money that takes these realities away. Ultimately, money exposes all the areas in our lives that we're trying to control. Where are you trying to control in your life? 
And what, what I think is amazing is that Jesus speaks right into this very thing. You see, he's the embodiment of wisdom. And he's actually aware of what trusting in money will do to you and me. He knows that it's going to do something to you. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he, he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I think Jesus acknowledges that you're going to serve where you have most control. This is the truth in Genesis 3, and it's still true today. And it's the word money there, in some translations, they translate it differently. They translate it the word mammon. Mammon is like actually like a spiritual entity idea to the ancient people that Jesus would have been speaking to. He's giving spiritual, even demonic influence. Yes, it's representative of money, but it's so much deeper in the context of Jesus' time. And author Andy Crouch, who has devoted his life and his work to talking about the impact of technology, actually talks about this idea of mammon in relation to money. He said this. It's a long quote. I just, he says it better than I could. And when he, Jesus, says, you cannot serve God and mammon, and he doesn't just mean, you know, money is bad. I think money, insofar as it is just a medium of exchange that identifies value and allows people to exchange value. That's sort of just a thing. But there's this will at work in the world behind money that animates money and that especially animates our love of money. And that's what Jesus calls mammon. It's the dream. It's, and it's this dream. And in, in this, in a way, intention to have abundance without dependence to have. It's a beautiful, powerful, and disturbing, unsettling phrase of abundance without dependence. It's the dream of having more and more with less and less relationship, less and less vulnerability, less and less uncertainty. Basically, being able to snap your fingers and have what I want. And Mammon, Mammon says, oh, I have a way to do that. And money is that way. And this is so at one level, it's a dream that, that I think functions at our own personal level. Like we somehow, we can fall into a dream and think, well, if I just had enough money, I could get, you know, whatever I want. And if I have more money, I could get more. But I also see it actually has something that goes way beyond any individual and actually drives a lot of the way technology is designed. It explains so much of why technology doesn't actually seem designed to help me be a better human being. Ultimately, it seems designed for some other purpose. And I think it's designed to create a whole world that's chasing abundance without dependence and power without relationship. Money, if not put in its right place, it becomes like a superpower, like a magic wand. We wave it, and it takes away all of our problems. And it gives us full control of our lives and our destiny. This is why in a recent Forbes article, 
It, they, they cited a study that said 79% of people believe that they would be happier if they had more money. And 69% of those people in the survey said that getting more money impacts their decisions every single day. And Jesus points out exactly what this is doing to us and what this pursuit is doing to us at the end of Matthew 6, 25-39. He says it. We're anxious. We're killing ourselves. He's like, you're familiar with the passage maybe. He's like, your life is more than money. You're anxious. Don't be anxious about it. Your life. And this is what Jesus is telling us. Don't be anxious about your life, about your clothes or your food. I care about flowers and birds, and I give them what they need. Don't you think you're more valuable than them? Look at what this is doing to you. You have a father who loves you, and he knows what you need even before you ask it. This anxiety and worry, it's not adding years to your life. It's actually taking years away. Seek my kingdom, and I'll add to you. The Proverbs and Jesus are distinctly concerned with your pursuit of money and my pursuit of money because it gives us this illusion of control that we will constantly chase abundance devoid of relationships. And we were created as humans in the beginning, in the garden, to be dependent on God, our creator, to relate to him, to walk with him. And it was good that we weren't alone. We were made for relationship with one another. We are so laden with anxiety to try and control every aspect of our lives. And Jesus is coming and saying, come to me. You're heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. So if you're worried about status, I think you just say God calls you his own. You're a son or daughter. Talk about status. You inherit the earth. If you're worried about having enough, God owns everything. Nothing happens outside of the counsel of his will. He has real treasure for you. This one hits home for me. If you're worried about providing for yourself or your family, God is no miser. He will provide. Psalm 37, 25, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen a righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. So the question is, how do we become wise? How do we recover our humanity and money? And what's interesting in Matthew 6, I think Jesus actually gives us the solution before he diagnoses the symptoms, the symptoms of anxiety and worry and fear. Here's what Jesus says right before that, Matthew 6, 19 through 23. Do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But listen, here's, here's where, this is, this is how, what we do. This is how we become wise. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? 
What I think Jesus is doing there, he's calling you to like examine. He's calling you to examination, right? Is your eye bad? Is your eye good? What's your eye on? What are you looking at? Paul calls this idea testing, right? John says, test the spirits. James calls it working out your faith with fear and trembling. Remember, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We go to the one, we go to God who forgives our sins and therefore we fear him. We work this out in our lives. So let's examine. This means I think we actually look at our money. Like get out the bank account, get out the spreadsheet and analyze it. Look at your spending. What is my relationship to money right now? Look at the anxieties and your fears. Like actually take account of your body. Like is it tense? Are you, are you staying up at night? Are you spending or on the flip not spending to cure, control, and fix your anxieties and fears? Are you looking at your life as a collection of experiences and possessions? Like, look at this cool thing I just got. Or if I can only get there, then I'll have more fun and experience. Do you live a life of generosity and giving? Luke 12, actually kind of the parallel passage to Matthew 6, he gives a distinct call to give away your possessions and receive God's kingdom. That the idea of a generous life might actually impact your socioeconomic status and your net worth, but you inherit God's kingdom. But here's what I find really frustrating. <laughs> I find it really frustrating that the Bible is unclear on how generous to be. You feel that? Like, give me a dollar amount, dude. For real. That's what I want. Just be clear. Just tell me what you want. Like the Spice Girls, what you really, really want, right? <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't tell us at all. It doesn't tell us how much to give to the church. It doesn't tell us how generous we should be to the poor and to those who are under-resourced. The Bible doesn't say. Now, you can make an argument for the tithe, that 10%, but that's Old Testament law. Scale the New Testament. I did this week. Could not find a number. But I think, that, I think that's the point. I think that's the whole point. Because if you were given a strict law or a strict checklist, you would just do it. Like, see, God, I gave my 10%. I've given my money this, this, this month, this week. I did my act of good. Now you can get off my back, God. I feel good about what I've done. But that's it. That's the end. But that's, that's not what grace calls for. Grace calls for so much more. It calls you, causes you to examine Jesus, when he, in his, he's at the temple. He sees a man pour all this money into a temple jar. It's making so much noise. And then he sees a widow put in two mites. And then he says to his disciples, hey, she just gave way more. You're like, no, she didn't. Jesus is like, she gave out of her. They gave out of their abundance. She gave out of her need. He is completely orienting what it means to worship and give. He is completely inviting us to really examine and reconcile. 
And he's like, you know what? That woman, the widow, she understands grace. And I, this is, grace just doesn't stop with money. It's, it's everywhere. Grace causes you to examine every aspect of your life, your time, your friendships, your work, what you do with your body, and who you do it with. Like, it, 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 every aspect of you is on the table with grace. And that's what makes it challenging. Because we're being made into the image of Jesus, into the image of the Son. And that's not over by just one thing. It's a lifelong journey, as Pastor Barry was saying earlier. Grace also has a calling to you and me. Paul would say it like, walk, walk worthy of the gospel, live a life worthy of it. And I think like it calls you to do two things, to give and to receive. For those who are in good financial standing or even wealthy, grace calls you to be generous. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So enjoy it. They are to, be, to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves has a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold that which is truly life. So if you're in a good place financially, like where, what is God calling you to? What is he drawing your passions to for the sake of his kingdom? How can you help others? How can you flourish by helping others flourish? That's what grace calls for. And for those who are struggling right now, or you're in a place where you're under-resourced and you have no idea what to do, there's grace for you to receive. Galatians 6.10, and let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith, the church is a community of grace, and we are eager to help. It is for the flourishing of the church to see others flourishing. That's the way God wants us to relate to money. Your flourishing is my flourishing. So if you need help, like have that humble posture and say, I need help. And as a church, we are called to be like, yes, how can I? What's it going to take to help you in this moment? If that's where you are, I invite you to ask. Maybe it's advice, but maybe it's like, I need groceries this week or my family's not going to eat. Our recovering, the recovering of our humanity is clear in Scripture that it is not dependent on money, but it's growing in wisdom that we are wholly dependent on the Lord for everything who gives all good gifts. And now we turn our attention to communion. And I, it's really interesting that in the ministry of Jesus, he uses the word debts a lot as an illustration. I think he, would, he knew we would understand it. Paul says this in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus our Lord.
And on the night when Jesus died, he gave us a reminder of the price that was paid for you to be in, into his kingdom, into his people. And the price was, was Jesus' body. It was broken. It was represented by the bread. And his blood was shed, represented by the cup. And you were bought with a price. And he loves you. And he wants you to not be anxious about your life. And he's calling you to that. So today, the, the calling is examination. So before you come to the table, if you're a Christian today, you're invited. I, I also invite you to examine what anxieties, what fears do you have? What do you need to give over to the Lord as you come to the table today? He's des- he knows what you need even before you ask it. What a beautiful thing that he's willing to hear you and process that with you. If you're not a Christian, we ask that you don't take communion today, but I also call you to examine. Like, what would a life of Christ help me flourish in my relationship to even money and looking at my life? If, you're, if that's where you are today, we ask that you don't take communion, but there's a prayer room over here. There's gonna be pastors in there who are, would love nothing more than to talk to you about your walk with the Lord and invite you into his kingdom. And if you're just someone who needs help examining and processing right now, if, after you take communion, please go see a pastor and pray. That room is open to you and they'll pray with you and process with you. Um, I hope that this is encouraging to you today. I hope that you have a good Sunday and I hope the Lord blesses you. Would you pray with me? Father, I, I'm, I don't know where this is landing with people. I, I don't know what you're, what you're doing in this room right now. I know for me, I have been so challenged in the ways I try to control every aspect of my life. And money is so tied to that. I pray that you would free me from that. Help me to delight in the good works that you've called me to. I pray for this church that we would be, um, that we would use the gifts. We pray for more gifts so we can help others flourish, so we can share your kingdom with more people. Lord, you will give us what we need. We trust you. I trust you. And thank you, Lord, for what you've done. We thank you for Christ, that my, my debt is paid, and I'm in. And I pray that others would receive that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Learn more about our church and support by giving to the Mission of the Oaks at www.theoakscommunitychurch.org.